Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. So if you don't know me, I'm Andy, I'm the youth pastor here, and it's great just to be here now for about 21 months, just to know what an incredible journey we're on at Central. Perhaps those who've been around a long time, you forget just what an amazing work God's doing in and through Central and all that we're linked with. I work with young people and it's great to see them just growing their faith, to grow in their discipleship, to share faith, to share Jesus at schools and just to see them empowered and equipped to do incredible things for God. And I just wanted to start just by talking a bit about the men's weekend. So we had the men's weekend last weekend. I think there's a photo coming up. There we are. What a handsome bunch, eh? It's actually been stretched a bit. When I did a PowerPoint, it was stretched a bit. I thought we'd keep it like that to make us look a bit more butch and manly. So that's us. I think it was a really significant weekend for the life of the church. It was a lot of fun. But I also think we just really spurred each other on and just encouraged each other in our faith. I think it was really significant work that was done for that weekend. I think we'll see the legacy for many years to come. But I just wanted to touch on two things that really happened that weekend. And the first thing, I guess, was just the amount of friendships that were built or restored. I've had quite a few texts and emails this week from people who want contact details, who want to meet up and just encourage each other. It's been really quite cute and sweet, to be honest, just sort of new friendship emerging and... Just be quite, I feel like a sort of matchmaker, but it's been fantastic to see that. But no one's asked me for a coffee. No, that's a joke, it's fine, it's okay. I'm secure in who I am. But what's the other thing, the other couple of things I just want to share is about my mother in law. Now, she didn't come. I wouldn't have put it past her to have come, but she didn't come. But the week before, she was praying repeatedly for the men's weekend, constantly texting me, constantly asking me how we can pray and just reassuring me of the prayer. And I just again reminded that through her prayers and of course others, God did some truly special things that weekend and we just often forget the incredible importance and significance of prayer. But interestingly, I don't want to talk about my mother-in-law this morning. That's not what I've been asked to preach about. I want to speak this morning about what it is to be sons, not slaves, to be sons and daughters, not slaves. And I think at the men's weekend, it was a reminder to me that perhaps society says we need to be macho, we need to be this, we need to be brilliant parents, we need to be brilliant fathers, we need to be excellent colleagues, we need to be all these different things. But ultimately, above and beyond everything else, we need to be children of God, sons of God. The pressures and expectations the world puts on us But actually, above and beyond anything else, it's not about the pressures and expectations, it's about being children first, sons and daughters of God first. And actually, as we learn to be children, as we learn to be sons and daughters, we then become better parents, better husbands, better wives, better work colleagues, better friends, because it comes from our primary identity. We understand that our security, our identity is in Christ. It comes from a loving relationship with the Father. And as we think about sons and not slaves, we think about what it is to be loved and valued and cherished and our identity and security being in Christ, as opposed to the pressures and expectations this world puts on us. We have to have this particular product, this particular image, this particular look, or even self-inflicted expectation, I need to be this, I need to be that, 
or our friends, our families put pressures on us, slave to religion, perhaps slaves to others, always expectations and pressures and demands put on us. But how do we really live as sons and daughters and not slaves? And I know for me personally, it's been a real journey of just being reminded once again that as a son, there is freedom, there is value, I'm loved. Because we know, don't we, that slaves are the lowest in society. They're not appreciated. They're not valued. Their identity, their security is taken away from them. They're bound. Their self-worth is taken away from them. They're not appreciated. They have to strive. They have to earn their rights. Everyone despises them. Everyone looks down on them. But are we going to be slaves to the society around us? Are we going to be slaves to the expectations of others? Or are we going to be free and our identity, our calling, our security in Christ. But we are loved, we are valued and cherished by him. And we've seen, haven't we, in history where slaves during perhaps the apartheid or different situations of slavery where people have become free and released from slavery. And that incredible release, that incredible freedom that comes as they escape from slavery, escape from the pressures of that particular society. And that's my hope, that's my prayer this morning, where we learn what it is to be sons and daughters who are free and can escape from the pressures and expectations of society. Abraham Lincoln, the 19th century American president, he wasn't president the whole 19th century, but part of it, and he tells a story, it's absolutely true, he didn't tell a story, he's long gone. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln, and he went to a slave auction to buy a slave, and he spent a long while bidding and bidding and just outbidding his competitors. And eventually bought his slave way above what she really should have been worth according to the slave auction. And he bought his slave and he took her and said, I've bought you so that you can be free. I've bought you so you can be free. And her response is, but what is freedom? What is freedom? She'd been a slave for so long that she did not know what freedom was. And then he says, look, you can go wherever you want to go. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Freedom is yours. Go, be, do, just release. I release you. I don't want anything from you. And she says to him, I want to go where you go. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And that's really the essence of what I want to talk about this morning is do we really know what freedom is? Do we really understand what true freedom in Christ is as sons and daughters living not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. And when we do that, when we understand the living Father, when we learn how much our God loves us, we understand our truest identity, our truest freedom, then we'll go wherever he wants us to go. We'll do whatever he wants us to do because we want to be with him. So we're in Galatians, we're in a series in Galatians. Galatians is a book in the New Testament. And it's almost certainly written by Paul. And in fact, during the early church and during several times in history, they've used Galatians to measure other books to see if they are written by Paul. So it's almost undisputed that it's written by Paul. And it's really kind of to two audiences, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews were expecting the Messiah, but they didn't believe the Messiah had arrived. So they were still living bound by religion, still living bound by the expectations of culture and society they put on themselves. They didn't know true freedom now that Jesus was here. They were still slaves. And then equally, the Gentiles, what happened with these guys was, in the Greek culture, they were worshipping all sorts of gods. It was a polytheistic culture, so there's many different gods. 
And what happened was they wanted God to be one of their several gods. They were starting to learn that actually the other gods weren't working, the other gods weren't answering their prayers. But it was politically sensible, it was sensible in society's eyes to have lots of different gods. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you can't have these different gods. You need one true God, which is Jesus, which is the Father. And if we're completely honest, at times we try and have Jesus amongst other things. We have these different idols, these different gods. We have these different expectations upon ourselves. But we need to be free as sons and daughters. Not as slaves, as free as sons and daughters. Where we realize there's one true God and he gives us freedom. So Carl kicked off the series talking about grace being the way in. So grace is the way in to Jesus. He's the way in to a relationship with the Father, to eternal life, to freedom. But it's also the way on. It's also how we keep living. It's not a one thing, one time. It's a constant. We live in God's grace and are released in God's grace. And then Faith talked last week about how Paul, who did some horrendous things, was a really dirty sinner in society's eyes, killed Christians, did some horrendous things. He lived in God's grace, whereas Peter at times tried to build religion back into it and tried to put structures around it. And are we at times in danger of putting structures into it? So if you turn with me to Galatians 4, that's where we are today, Galatians 4, 1 to 7. And just before we read the passage for 1-7, I think there's just some core themes that come through Galatians that just are underpinned in this particular passage. Firstly, the great father of Israel, the people of Israel, is Abraham. And he's saying that if you get adopted into my family, if you become part of the family, that is where your identity comes from. The Jews didn't realize that the Gentiles were enabled to come into that family. So our identity comes from being part of that family the book of Galatians is saying that we become part of the line of Abraham. And equally, the law which Moses wrote, that wasn't to bind you, it wasn't to hold you captive, it was to free you, and Jesus came to fulfill the law. So these kind of undercurrents of reading through the passage that we need to recognize that we are part of the family, we are called to be part of this family, that is where our identity and value comes from. But equally, just as Moses came to write the law, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law and give us freedom within the law. Give us freedom and no expectations, but just freedom in Christ. So if you'll read with me, Galatians 4, 1 to 7. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until his time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The starting of this passage talks about our inheritance, to have eternal life with God. All the values and blessings of the kingdom are available for us. I remember a few years ago, 
I used to do one day a week at a pupil referral unit. You don't have pupil referral units in Scotland, but basically they are institutions where young people who are excluded from mainstream school would go to these institutions and would get taught by mugs like me. And they were quite crazy places at times. They were naughty kids on drugs, violent, all sorts of things. There was one situation where I went into a cupboard to get some basketballs and I was doing a sports lesson with them. And just as I went in to grab the basketballs, I suddenly thought, oh no, I've left the keys in the door. Turn around and they locked me in the cupboard with the basketballs. And then I've got this dilemma because I've got my phone on me thinking, well, if I ring reception, it's not looking particularly good to other teachers if one of the teachers has managed to somehow get himself stuck in a cupboard. <laughs> and equally, I'm thinking, if I bang on the door and say, let me out, let me out, it's just going to excite them and hype them up more. Anyway, eventually, you'll be pleased to know they let me out. I'm not still there. They let me out. And I said to them, you shouldn't do that. I wouldn't have done it at your age. <laughs> but just working with these guys, I worked with them for about six years part-time, and I just remember distinctly that their lifestyles, their backgrounds, their context was really, really tough. They definitely didn't know their value and identity and inheritance in Christ. They just didn't know it. I remember talking to them, four of them. I remember it was in my car. And they said to me, they were talking about just the drugs and violence and all the stuff that's going on in their lives. And they said, I do not want to live past 30. Because I just want to get through this life. And I just want to get off this earth. I want to party hard, do all I can while I'm here. But I don't want any pressures or expectations on me. It's just too difficult. It's too tricky. My parents have let me down. My friends have let me down. The drugs have messed with my head. I can't get a job, etc., etc., etc. But they just did not know the inheritance was available to them. Do we know the inheritance that's available to us? This passage talks about the transition between boyhood and manhood. And in many cultures, they have a, tr- a ceremony or a particular stage where you transition from boyhood to manhood. So I was in South Africa a few years ago and... There, in that particular tribe, boys wear shorts and don't wear trousers. And Sorry, boys wear shorts and not, tr- and not trousers, and men always wear trousers, not shorts. And even if it's blisteringly hot, the men would wear trousers because it was a sign of their manhood. And that was a transition between boyhood and manhood. And in this particular culture, at about the age of 12, Jewish boys would go for what called bar mitzvah, where they would come from being boys to men, from being their parents' responsibility to being their own men, their own responsibility. And the, the Greeks, the Gentiles of this time, they would have had a different ceremony, probably about the age of 18, and they would have had to do some rituals and some ceremonies and therefore become men in their own right. But what Paul's saying here is this inheritance is yours. This inheritance is yours, but are you going to step in and take it? This inheritance of eternal life, this inheritance of freedom and value and identity is available to you this morning, but are you going to step in and take it? Because the Jews hadn't stepped in and taken their inheritance in Christ. And it talks about in verse 2, the guardians and the trustees. So the guardians would have been responsible for looking after the family. would be looking after the, the, the children and making sure they were well looked after. The trustees and managers would have managed the estate. And what he's saying here is that it's not longer their responsibility, it's yours. Stop giving it over to other people. It's your responsibility to take the inheritance that's yours. 
It's not down to your parents. It's not down to other people. It's down to you. Are you prepared to take this inheritance? The incredible gift of being sons and daughters, not slaves, is available to us this morning. But are we prepared to step in and take it? Are we prepared to access it and enjoy it? Life in all its fullness. You see, because towards the end we see that confidence, our security, our identity comes from a loving father. It comes from knowing who our father is. It's my responsibility as a preacher to mention my children at least once in this sermon. That's what every preacher does. Carl mentions his daughters probably about ten times during a sermon. But I'm just going to mention Jensen once this morning. And I picked him up from the airport two weeks ago. He'd been, he's two years old. He'd been away for a week on his own. That's not true. He was with his mum. He was with his mum. And I picked him up. And it's going to sound cheesy. It's going to sound toy. But all I wanted to do was just hug him and be around him. All he wanted to do was just play with his trains and show me his trains. The reason I say that, I think sometimes when we understand that the father, our daddy, wants to have a relationship with us, he wants us to have our identity in him, what we want to do is do things. We want to show him. We want to be certain things. Or we ignore him and follow distractions of trains and other things. But actually our truest identity is from knowing the father. Abba Father, the best translation we've got is Daddy. Now, if you're anything like me, you think that only posh people use the word Daddy. That's a joke, sorry if I've offended you. But Daddy is just an intimate term where you really just understand what it is just to be loved and valued and just close to your Daddy. And here he's saying, your confidence, your identity comes from knowing who Daddy is. Your son's not slaves. Your daughter's not slaves because you know that daddy wants the best for you. Daddy loves you. Daddy cares for you. Daddy is for you. Time and time again, if I'm completely honest, I said to God, I said, God, you're all I've got. And he said, what else do you need? Or other times I said, God, 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 I can't do this. And he said, but I can. You're not meant to. I'm meant to. Do we really understand that daddy is for us, daddy loves us, daddy cares for us, daddy wants us to be free, not pressured and under the expectations of the world we live in? This passage talks about the elemental forces and what it's saying in this passage is that the pressures, the material things, the different things of this world so often encloud us, they put expectations on pressures on us, but daddy, father, Abba father wants us to be free. Adele, my wife, and I, we, a few weeks ago, I'll just be honest with you, we had, we've just had quite a tricky few weeks for a whole variety of reasons, and we wrote down 10 different things we really wanted to bring before God, 10 different prayer requests. And these aren't small things, these are really quite significant things, just kind of things we wanted to say, look, God, we need you in these 10 different things. And I remember we looked at this list again on Wednesday, and not one of them had been answered. But I remember God just saying to both of us that I'm still your daddy. I still love you. I still care for you. So regardless of circumstances, regardless of expectations, regardless of things around you, I'm still daddy. I still love you. I still care for you. I still want the best for you. He is for us. Because what's really interesting in this passage is in verse 7 we see we're here as children. We're children before we're heirs. We need to understand we're children before we're heirs. So this passage finishes by talking about we are joint heirs 
with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. What an incredible privilege that is to be joint heirs with Christ. But before that, we have to understand we're children. We're children. We are sons, not slaves. We are daughters, not slaves. And the complete inheritance he gives us, he's enough. He lets us have his kingdom with him. He lets us have life after death. He lets us have all the joy and peace and anything else we could want. Yes, there'll be trials. Yes, there'll be tribulations. But daddy is enough. Daddy cares for us. We are adopted into a family. As we talked about at the beginning, Abraham's lineage, we are a part of that family. No matter what our family, our earthly family looks like. No matter what the things of the world look like for us personally, we have a family, we have a loving father. I did some work a few months ago and that was a rare thing for me. No, that's true. Um, about a year ago, I was working thinking, how can we engage young people uh, across the city? How can we help young people and help them just learn about Jesus and be better young people, I guess? And I spoke to about 20 young people individually from a whole range of social demographics, from a whole range of different contexts. And without fail, every single one of them, whether they're from really wealthy backgrounds or poor backgrounds, from really tricky homes or great homes, said that for them, self-esteem and confidence was a challenge. Every single one of them said self-esteem and confidence was a big challenge. And if we're completely honest, my guess would be within this congregation this morning, for many of us, self-esteem and confidence and knowing our true identity, our true security, is a challenge. So we set up a charity called Lead, and it was very early days, but the idea of that is just to help young people have confidence and security and identity and to understand more of who they are. But I also just wanted to remind us that as we learn who the Father is, as we learn the Father, Daddy wants the best for us, we have security in Christ. I used to hassle a guy called Richard Harvey who was in Gloucestershire where he used to work. And he was part of my church, but he, would also, he was also the CEO of Norwich Union, then became Aviva, a very successful businessman. And he would get hassled by me time and time again. I just wanted all the wisdom he had and all the ideas he had. And I used to say to him, yeah, just tell me anything you can. And one thing he said really stuck with me. He said that as a disciple, as a leader who knows my inheritance, who knows my value, who knows my worth, I'm not going to get too pumped up if things go well. And equally, I'm not going to fall apart if things go badly. Because none of this is about me. It's about me being a child and a disciple first. So whether things that have either fall apart, and he was sometimes on the news getting slated for different decisions he's made. He said, that didn't really bother me because that's not where my identity is. That's not where my value is. I'm not bothered what others think about me, what others expect of me. That is my primary identity. And you see, from that, as we understand that we have identity and security in Christ, we're willing to take risks. And we're willing to have courage and step out. I was challenged about a month ago to go and pray, personally challenged by God to go and pray for two different people who were on crutches, just struggling to walk. And on both situations, I just bowled it and pulled away. But about well, last week, in fact, I just felt really convicted to go and pray for someone at Starbucks. 
and stepped out and prayed for them because I just had to have a sense of actually God I don't really care what other people think about this I don't really care about their reaction because my identity my value is in you daddy you are for me daddy you go with me I just want to finish by talking about John Wesley who was a very influential Methodist leader in the 18th century did incredible things he saw many prisons set up he set up many educational institutions, he set up many churches, shared his faith with literally thousands and thousands of people. But what he said was, in his early 40s, he lived to his late 80s, he said, in his early 40s, he suddenly realized that in order for his ministry to be effective, in order to be all he could be, he needed to live as a son, not a slave. He'd done some great things, but it was all human expectation. It was all human effort. But now he was living in freedom because he wanted God to work for him. He said it was a real transition in his early 40s between being a son, between being a slave and a son. That's our hope. That's our prayer this morning. But we understand what it is to be sons and daughters and not slaves. To be free in Christ. To understand that daddy wants the best for us. Daddy loves us. As we just go on to a final slide of the chart, if that's okay, Michael. So can we have the next slide, please, Michael? Is that all right? That's great. I just want us to just spend a time just pausing and reflect on this because this isn't an exclusive list. This isn't every characteristic between a son and a slave. But I just want us to personally think for us, where are we living as slaves and not sons? Where are we feeling limited and restricted rather than free? Where are we desperate for approval rather than secure in who we are in Christ? Where are we striving to be more, striving to be successful, rather than realizing that in God we're more than enough, we're created in his image? Where are we feeling impoverished, not enough, rather than feeling generous? Where are we fearful and worried and anxious rather than feeling courageous in God's arms? Where are we bitter and frustrated and disappointed rather than feeling contentment that comes from relationship with God? And where are we feeling excluded as slaves rather than loved and valued by their loving Father? Just as Zach and the band come up, I just want to pray into that. I wonder if you guys would stand. I just want to pray for us as we reflect on this and just work out for us personally where is God prodding where is he asking us just to understand more about being sons and daughters rather than slaves let me just pray for us Lord we thank you that you have set us free we thank you that our value our worth our identity is in you and not in the things of this world not the expectations of others not the self-inflicted pressures Help us to leave here this morning transformed and changed into your likeness. Filled up with the Holy Spirit, but just more aware than ever that we are loved by you. That our identity, our freedom, our security comes from who you are and what you've done for us. Come and minister amongst us now, we pray. Amen.